in today's episode, we're going to dive deep into the business behind hip hop. And we're going to see what kind of lessons we can learn. And then we're going to apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Flip the Switch. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad to have you. On this show, what we do is we sit down with leaders to really understand their insights, strategies that they're using, experiments that they're running, uh, trends that they're looking at, all in the world of customer and employee experience. And we try to take those insights and apply it to the world of sports and entertainment. Uh if you are a loyal listener, welcome back. We are so happy that you're with us and we're excited for another episode with you today. Um, so today's episode was recorded about two weeks ago uh, and it was recorded with one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter, Dan Runcy. So little background on Dan. Uh, Dan runs a company called Trapital. Uh, that's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L. Now, what is Trapital? Uh Trapital really breaks down the business behind hip hop. So I know if you're listening to this and you're not a hip hop person, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, what does this have to do with this? I'm, I'm a sports exec. Uh, what are we going to get into today? We're going to be out of my comfort zone. And yes, that is the goal. That is what we're trying to do on this episode is to think outside of your box, think outside of your sphere of influence. Uh, we're going to try to break down as many terms and whatnot and artist references as we can. Uh, but we're ultimately trying to look outside of that box that you're in, pull some insights from a different industry that's really similar to ours and bring those insights into the world of sports and entertainment. So what Dan does is he does not talk about the news. He does not break news by any means in the world of hip hop. Instead, think of what Dan does as more of creating case studies behind what's really working, what's not working, why and how are those things working or not working, and what is really the in-depth strategy and decisions that got made behind the scenes that dictate that strategy. So some of my favorite things that he's written, just to give you guys an insight, right? Like how Tyler Perry has built his customer-centric empire. One of my favorite articles that Dan has written, uh, go Google it. You can find it, how Tyler Perry built his customer-centric empire. I think that's a good entry into Dan's writing, his writing style, and the type of really deep insights that you can expect to get. Um, but he does all kinds of stuff. He, he'll cover you know, how and why big artists like Travis Scott collaborate with McDonald's, the first collaboration that McDonald's did since Jordan. Um, he'll go into in-depth behind the scenes strategy and decision making in the streaming wars between Spotify and Apple. Um, he'll talk about really why the younger generation uh, latches on to certain artists and how certain artists build rabid fan bases with those younger generations. Uh, you know, breaking down Live Nation's business model and what we can learn from that. So there's tons of different insights that we're going to get into today that you're not used to hearing about. And Dan thinks about it at a really, really strategic level. A um, couple of frameworks to help you think about as we we go through this episode, some lens I want you to wear. Um, one, uh, you can almost think in think of and liken artists 
and recording artists, that is, uh, to pro teams or recording artists to university athletic departments, um, especially in terms of brand building, uh, creating fandom, partnerships and, and sponsorships that they do. Um, another lens you might consider putting on is think about record labels are to pro teams and university athletic departments as artists are to athletes. So especially in the day and age of name, image, and likeness in college sports and in pro space where guys like LeBron oftentimes could be bigger than some of the teams in the league, uh, how do the team and the athletes work together to lift all the boats, just like the record labels and the artists have to do? Um, additionally, you can think about it the lens of think of Spotify, Apple, the different distribution platforms, really similarly to ESPN and the cable networks that we have. And what are all those new avenues that are coming out, right? Uh, being able to stream on Facebook, the equate, equating to new music discovery coming out on TikTok and whatnot. So anyway, there's a lot of different weird insights that we're going to get into. I really want you to put your thinking cap on for this one. Uh, and it, it's going to be a great episode. Uh, I had a lot of fun recording it. Uh, wanted to go a lot deeper. And we, we might even have Dan back on for round two. If you want to check out Dan, follow along his journey uh, and hear more of his insights after the episode, uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter. He's at RuncyDan. That's R-U-N-C-I-E-D-A-N. Uh, or you could subscribe to his weekly newsletter, which I highly recommend. That's where he goes really deep. Uh, and you can find that at trapital, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot co. Uh, that way you can not miss an insight. He sends about a, a weekly memo that goes out that's really insightful. So anyway, uh, excited to get into this episode with you guys. Without further ado, let's kick it to Dan. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Dave, thanks for having me. Um, well, let's get into it. Uh, our audience might not be familiar with you, but uh, I've subscribed to Trapital for a while now. Um, talk to us about kind of your a little bit about your background uh, and what you've been working on and, and tell us about Trapital. Yeah, definitely. So Trapital is home for the business of hip hop. It's a company that I started two and a half years ago and started working full time on last year. And for me, Writing and covering the business of hip hop was something that started purely as a hobby. Six years ago, I had just finished business school. I moved to the Bay Area and my main focus was to get a job in tech and follow very much, you know, a bit of a traditional route. I also wanted to do something that was more social impact oriented, wanted to, you know, provide some good to the world. And that definitely was the way that I was focusing on things at the time. But I had this interest and this desire to really tap into something that was more of a hobby and interest at first. There was a lot of talk about what hip hop artists were doing from a business perspective, but it was so few and far between. I remember when I was in business school, there was a case study that Harvard Business School had done about Beyonce. And it made tons of rounds. It got a bunch of coverage. It was talked about everywhere. But there was so much impact of it because you just didn't really see that much coverage from someone like Beyonce getting talked about in a case study like that. And it was something that I wish we were able to see more of. And when I had started doing a bit of writing on the side at the time, like I said, this was right when I had moved to San Francisco. It was purely on my own as a hobby. It started my own 
uh, page on Medium and was really just sending it to friends. And things started to spread. And then I started to do a bit more freelance work, starting to write for different publications, talking about the business intersections of sports, of music, of hip hop culture and entertainment more broadly. But that also started to snowball and I started to write for more reputable publications. And it kind of became a decision point where I said, okay, well, my career was going fine with what I intended to move out here for, but I'm also getting a bit of steam and traction in this other area too. So I started to put a bit more effort into it and think more seriously about what this looked like. And there were a few things happening at the same time. First, Hip hop was just gaining more and more momentum in the business world, both with what artists were doing themselves, the type of deals they were making, the investments, and it just wasn't being covered to that level. And I knew that I could make an impact beyond what I was doing from a freelance perspective. And second, there was also this wave happening in digital media, too, where there were a number of new companies that were being formed that were focusing on specific niches, leveraging newsletters, leveraging podcasting, and being a bit more hyper-specialized in a particular area than we had seen in the past. And no one had really done this for the business of hip hop. So looking at the two of those together, I said, there's an opportunity to put some more structure around this, have some branding and really make it something. So the idea for Trapital came at the end of 2017. And then I ended up launching it in 2018. I love it. And and at first you were, did you have the paid model right off the bat? I know you've now switched and moved it into a little bit more consulting, um, but I am just from a personal perspective. I'm, I'm curious about that a little bit. Yeah. So I had it as a free newsletter for the first nine, 10 months or so. But then I, or actually it was a little bit longer than that. I guess it was probably around like 13, 14 months. But then I decided to launch a paid version of the newsletter. And this was very much the route that I was planning to go through for the life of the newsletter. I saw the success of people like Ben Thompson, who writes this newsletter called Stratechery, which covers the business of tech and very much try to take that case study lens to all of the modern things happening in tech, but with a more you know modern tone. And I felt like there's an opportunity to do the same thing with hip hop. And the way that Ben Thompson's business model was, was he had one free deep dive piece a week that he did that was available to everyone. And then he had shorter updates on the more timely things that were behind his own paywall where he charged customers either $10 a month or $100 a year to subscribe. And I had a pretty similar model set up as well, where I had a similar type of structure around the business in terms of having one deep dive and then having additional um, case studies that were behind the paywall itself. But I ended up pivoting from that model for a few reasons. I think the main reason is that the growth and the potential of Trapital be able to reach all the people that it could does become a bit limited if I was only focusing on at least, you know, three plus days a week delivering the more timely updates. And I knew that just given how I wanted to scale the business, how I wanted to grow things, there would be a better opportunity to open up more of the content and then expand that. And then I could just put a bit more focus on the distribution aspect of the work, because I think that's one thing that can kind of get missing with some of this, that being good at creating content is very different from being very good at building a digital media company. So there's two different things. And I think those are some of the things that I was able to help learn along the way and how I've been able to switch the business since 
thinking, okay, this can not only be my lead generation for potential projects the way that the newsletter is now, but in the future, it could be an ad revenue model itself where the more that I could spread the word, I could make sure that I could bring informed sponsors onto the newsletter and other opportunities. And in the future, there may be an opportunity to launch another paid product. I think it would just look very different than that catch-all $10 a month, $100 a year would be something a bit more bespoke and focused for the executives and the others that were the true customers that I wanted to serve. I love it. And I think we at Engagement kind of went a different route where we like almost did the back end where we started with the consulting and then we were like, all right, how the hell are we going to grow this? Well, we got to have some kind of, of media product and shout out WebSmith and linear commerce and figuring all that out and how your content ties into the actual services. But um, nice. well, well, let, let, let's jump into this. I, I mean, I, I think we want to tie some of this back to sports a little bit. Uh, and for, for all the listeners, the main reason I, I, I wanted to have Dan on, um, you know, I'll, I'll start it with this, the, the Drake lyric from Thank Me Now, right? Where he's like, I swear sports and music are so synonymous because we want to be them and they want to be us, right? Like, I, I think there's a lot of similarities between the world of hip hop and music and what artists and record labels are doing versus what teams and players and athletes are doing. Um, So let's start with live events, right? Just like within sports, artists even more so, I would say, have been hit by COVID and not being able to have these live events. Um, So what are your favorite ways right now that you're seeing of artists interacting with fans and engaging with fans? when there's no live events where that typically was kind of their main avenue. Yeah, it's it's tough right now. I I give the artists a lot of credit for some of the more creative things that they've been doing since March of this year, since when the pandemic really took off and wrecked the structure of the business in a lot of ways. I think for so many people, especially in the streaming era, live music and the performance and the revenue that came from festivals, tours, that just made up so much of a bigger bulk of the revenue. And there have been a lot of creative things artists have done since then. So for instance, we've seen artists like Travis Scott and The Weeknd have created avatars of themselves and put them in these virtual worlds, whether it's Travis Scott and Fortnite or The Weeknd and TikTok. These are ways to A, leverage their persona and brand, but B, do it in a way that relates to where people are now engaging. If people aren't engaging in real life, a lot of them are now going to be engaging in these digital worlds. How can you immerse yourself in that? So I think those are some of the cool things that artists have done. Um, I also think that in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a pretty big wave on Instagram Live of artists going on there and being like, boom, here is DJ Nice's set. And then you have hundreds of thousands of people come up and join and see what's happening there. And you saw a little bit of this with the versus battles too, where artists are teaming up and you have Swiss Beats and Timbaland that have been leading that effort and they've since partnered with Apple. So a lot of that started early on, but I think the more unique things we've seen is the business models that have come through where artists like Erica Badu were having private concerts on their own platform where they were charging fans or asking for a dollar donation. Little things like that add a bit more structure and formality to now you're serving the people that really want to see you because Erica Badu may not be as big from a mainstream perspective the way that she was in the late 90s and even the early 2000s, but she still has a very loyal fan base and those people would be willing to pay 
you know, a dollar or however much more it is to be able to serve and see them. So we've been able to see a bit of that, too. And I know that Live Nation has gotten a bit more tapped into the virtual events. Mm -hmm. We've seen a little bit of that. We've seen a little bit of movement with Oculus and VR and some of the things that have been happening there. I think that's still a difficult place to tap into. But we've been seeing a bit there. So there's definitely potential. There's opportunity. But I think at the end of the day, especially music. And I think this does relate to some extent in sports as well, just given some of the decisions a lot of the pro sports leagues are making. There are very few replacements out there for a business model that relies on packing tens of thousands of people in a venue and charging them 40, 50, 60 plus concessions and sponsorship and all the other opportunities that come through that. It's just tough to replace that. So artists are trying to make more music or trying to backload things or they're releasing music and not even having the intention of trying to go on tour knowing that it may not happen until the end of 2021 or even later than that. So it's great. I mean, I know that recently Pfizer announced that they have this vaccine in place, but it's still going to take some time. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so like 10 things I want to hit on in there. I, you, you, you were rocking. I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe I won't interrupt him. We'll save it for the end. So like, I, I think about what Travis Scott did with Fortnite, right? And to me, that's not the most scalable thing. There's going to be very few, a few and far between artists, I guess that can do things like that. But in the future, who knows what that, the digital world thing looks like. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with what the weekend did with TikTok. I, I mean, what, what, what has he been doing in that space? So it was a pretty similar type event to what Travis Scott had done. It was a singular event though. Oh, oh similar. similar. Oh, no, no, no. oh, okay. Similar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was a similar event, but yeah, it, it was, it was a one-time thing where he, the, the world that TikTok had was much less immersive than Fortnite's and there just wasn't as much of an established gameplay or yeah. interaction. So the viewership and the engagement was much less and, but and I think the graphics and the abilities as well just wasn't quite what you've seen on Fortnite. But it was similar where, OK, you have this avatar of him. He's performing his biggest hits and all of the people that are fans could put their avatars of themselves out into this open world concert type format and check out and see what's happening. That's cool. Uh, the, the one for me that, that translates into sports, uh, like on verses, if, if I think a lot of people listening, if, if they're not big hip hop people, they probably aren't familiar with verses. Um, meanwhile, you know, I've got a crew of guys where we, we put a Google sheet together and we score songs, but tell, tell the group oh, a little bit about what, tell, tell the group a little bit about what verses is. Cause I think there is some, some scalability there and as, as it applies to sports world. Yeah. So versus is this one-on-one -on -one competition between two different artists or two different producers in hip hop, where they end up picking their best 20 songs that they've either produced been featured in or been a part of. And they play these songs back to back to try to see, okay, let me play a snippet of this song and let you play a snippet of that song. And it started as a thing that was started on IG live. So on Instagram live, there's this feature where you could have two people joining up with each other. And it was Swiss Beats and Timbaland that had started this idea. Originally, it was the two of them that had done it because they're both legendary producers. They picked, each picked 20 of their best tracks and went head to head. And it became a bit of a slight competition to see, okay, who's the person that's going to win this? Who's going to do their scorecards? But a bit more intentionally and one of Swiss Beats goals of this was really to make it more of an education because there's a lot of people that are hip hop fans now that may not necessarily have 
had the or may not have been there in the moments when a lot of the people that are doing versus battles have been there because Swiss Beast and Timbaland are both, you know, decades in the game. Many of the connections they have in many of the versus battles are people that were big in the 90s or in the early 2000s. So at this point, you're talking about 20 plus years of artists being pretty successful. One of the um, more recent ones they had and the biggest one that they had today was between Brandy and Monica, who had a rivalry at the time, but were also featured on one of the biggest records in 1998, too. So they were going back and forth. So it is a pretty smart event because it creates a lot of engagement on Twitter because a lot of the people that are in that millennial or even early Gen X fan or early Gen X age range are the people that were fans. And those people are very active on social media, giving their opinions. It also attracts the younger folks. And now they've since made a deal with Apple Music. So they've now simulcasted. So if you want to watch your Instagram, you can do that. If you want to watch your Apple Music, you can do that. So it's a pretty interesting platform. And I think it started in a lot of ways as a novelty that we wanted, we needed something to help try to keep us yep. occupied during the pandemic. A lot of people, especially in the months of April and May, the sheltering in place, at least here in the U.S., was still strict and everywhere. So, yeah, on a Saturday afternoon, everyone is just looking for something to do. Let's tune in to see Jill Scott versus Erica Badu. Like, that's cool. Um, so I do think there's some potential there. Um, I think the difficult thing with anything you could imagine, there's always a difficulty in getting the ideal artist that you would want to participate. Some people may not engage like recently Gucci Mane and said that he had respectfully declined participating. And it's like, come on. Interesting. And it's like you and Jeezy would have been perfect. Like yeah. or you and T.I. would have been perfect. All of you battle for this King of the South title. You are all, you know, around the same age range. Let's make it happen. But sometimes it can it can be tough. And it's an interesting model because I think it does translate well, even in areas outside of hip hop. Of course, there's areas in music outside of hip hop that it could work. But you think about the way that media works now and the way that so much sports coverage happens too. So many of the discussions are us talking about, well, who was better in this era, this player or that player? Like, right. I mean, of course, the, you know, the debate that gets the most conversation is the Jordan or LeBron, but that's just one debate about people that didn't even play technically in the same era. But there's so many others that did have similar things. Maybe a versus isn't the thing, but there is something about that. What is the head to head thing that could bring up nostalgia for fans that can keep people engaged and can bring these legends back in a way that's engaging. I do think there's some there's interesting there. plays there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the the main thing with it, right? Obviously, you could do a, a direct ripoff of like if you had Kentucky basketball versus Duke basketball, and they went through their top twenty guys in history, right? There's all kinds of cool things you could directly rip off, but I think it's just the point of like having two brands. So if it's two rappers, they're bringing both of their brands, they're bringing both of their audiences into the same platform, and you can get some crossover there and maybe expose your product uh, or your, your team to a new audience that you maybe wouldn't have had before. Um, uh, la last thing on verses, I did not intend to go that deep on verses, but can it, would anybody be able to beat Kanye in a verses? Potentially. Yes. And, and this who, is why. Who, who's, who's your take on that? Okay, go ahead. So versus in a lot of ways, it benefits the people that have, deeper catalogs more than the people that have stronger catalogs and 
Kanye just has, you know, these hits and these singles that just like hit you that are just so strong. Right. And like nothing like I mean, you could take half of the records off of my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy and they could be a challenge for anyone. Right. However, when you compare them to someone like a Drake or someone like a Jay-Z, who the catalog of hits that they've had is just so deep, not even that they're the best. They're going to have some hits that are going to you know, give Kanye some yeah. challenges. So it's like, once we get past Kanye's like six or seven untouchable songs, what about the other 13? And that's where I think someone like Drake can do well because it's been a decade where there really hasn't been a nine month period that Drake hasn't had yeah, he's some so hit yeah. versus Kanye has these blips of like 04 to 06 magic, you know, 07 to 08 magic. And then, you know, 2011 or 2010 to 2013 magic but 2014 since then maybe a few records off a of life of pablo but it gets a little thin after that this is where I, again i think this space would work well in the sports world because you just get really good robust dialogue like this um right well, let's let's move let's move to a different topic um similar though with not having live events um obviously you you hit on it that it's going to be really hard to replace the missing revenue from tens of thousands of fans paying upwards of a hundred dollars per ticket. It's hard to recreate that revenue. Um, but what have been some of the more interesting revenue models that you've seen artists or record labels exploring during this time and getting into? Um, like, I, I think I, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out and stall you a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you put, you put out a great, uh, memo this week on ringtone rap right mm-hmm. where at one point in time ring ringtone sales for songs like i had the t-pain i'm in love with a stripper ringtone uh, <laughs> back, back back in high school right um like when i when i think about that like you you shine the light on something that that was making up 10 percent of revenue in the music business at one point um so what are i guess some other things like that that you maybe have seen people starting to explore that you think there's more potential for Yeah, I think now we're starting to see more deals happen in space outside of the traditional music industry itself. And because I think the tough thing for the music industry, speaking specifically about the major record labels, is that they are either trying to sell as many records as possible or get their artists to perform in concerts. And obviously, those both of those two things have challenges because they chose they both just rely on the main aspect. But we started to see more artists do partnerships with products and companies that are a bit more fit for at-home experiences, which is so much of what's happening now in the pandemic. So for instance, you can look at someone like Logic. He had quote unquote retired from hip hop a few times, at least at this point, but he signed a seven figure deal to do a partnership with Twitch, which is a live streaming platform, a bit more focused on gaming in the early days, but it's definitely expanded quite a bit since then. Twitch, of course, is one of the many companies that has had a very strong 2020 in light of everything that's happened, just given the fact that there's engagement there. Um, We've also seen many more artists tapping deeper into TikTok. TikTok is another company that has done quite well in the pandemic. Its growth trajectory was already there. It got a little bit more press, just given some of the more geopolitical concerns about it, which then in you know, increase the number of downloads there. And you've seen more artists start to specialize in, okay, well, if I can't put out a record, how can I at least get some sponsorship money 
so that I can make a clever TikTok. So you see artists that weren't even like big names in music currently right now, like Iggy Azalea or Jason Derulo. Yeah, Jason Derulo's been, been killing it on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. And then of course the bigger news that we've seen recently is that Beyonce launched a new partnership with Peloton to have her music exclusively put on these platforms. So I think overall what you're seeing is that you have these new platforms, these new opportunities that have developed all of them want to integrate music in some way and artists, especially the ones that have this deep back catalog, how can their content be immersed into this platform or how can their likeness and their brand help influence some of the success that's already happening? And I think those are some of the more unique things that have happened in the pandemic. And I don't think those are necessarily going anywhere. I think those will stay even after the pandemic ends. So, so it's really interesting. I mean, the, the, especially like Beyonce and Peloton and what you just said, it triggered a thought for me, right? Where ultimately they're going to have music on that platform. So why not have her music, right? And as I, I think about it from a sports team perspective, like I think if you, if you broaden and you go into bigger health and wellness, right, you, you would take that, that Peloton class with John Wall that, that's on it, right? Like you, you would take those with those guys that have more, I guess, personality and more character, like if they look at themselves as bigger and the, these brands look at themselves as more, we're a basketball team or we're a soccer team and get into the broader health and wellness, I think it starts to open up more opportunities for partnerships with brands that are doing really well in the space currently. I do too. Yeah. And I think the good thing with athletes now, especially those in the NBA, there is just so much more personality where we have a clear understanding for who they are, which makes the brand potentials in the Sparta, Sparta, the sponsorship opportunities even stronger. Like for instance, Beyonce works because she's the most, at least the most requested artist on Peloton, but Beyonce herself is also a very realistic and target customer for Peloton. This is a millennial mom, three kids, busy as hell and trying to navigate this pandemic no different than any of us. That is just a bit of a stronger connection than let's say, you know, another artist that maybe doesn't necessarily fit in that demo. Like that is the Peloton customer. So the more that you can also have the artist be good from a potential way to engage fans, but also them as the psychographic and potentially the demographic as well makes it quite strong. Yeah. And it, I don't, how familiar are you in the college space with like name, image and likeness and what's going on there, if at all? Uh, to some extent, I know that there's been like lawsuits back and forth. And I know that California had passed some law last year to allow it, but it does seem like it's still a pretty contentious thing. It's contentious, but I mean, it's it's going to get there. Right? I'm looking at the future and it, it, it's going to get there where college athletes now have the ability to build this brand as well. And, and that's where I think for the, the universities that want to get ahead of it, it's like find those those athletes on your, whatever team they're on, basketball, football, uh, hockey, whatever it is that have these personalities, help them build those brands and get into this. And I don't know, I I think there's a lot of just white space and open frontier uh, as it gets into this. I think so too. I mean, I look at in most college football season, there's always some type of media darling or a few of them that just become the face of it and props to them. But it's also like, ESPN and all these other companies are making bank off of having them featured. Now they can at least hopefully rep them, rep their own stuff. It's that same quote that like, um, what is it? Chris Weber had said in that Fab Five documentary where he's like, everyone else is making a million off my name and I'm still trying to like spare change to get a hamburger or whatever it is on campus. 
And and that's where like I I mean not to, I'm not I don't want to go down a rabbit hole in this, but like that's where I think there are some there have been some schools that are like resistant to it. And I, I was somewhat resistant to it at first because I'm like, how are the economics going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, and logistically, how are we going to make it happen? But now I'm like, all right, if a school gets in front of it and proactively says like, hey, let's partner with them, let's create the best place to be for student athletes to come because we're going to create opportunities for them to make money and build their brand. Now you all win and it's, it's a better place for everybody. So anyway, um, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I kind of want to talk about the disruption in the music industry. I, I mean, if you look at the last 20 years, it's just your, your world, your industry just is constantly getting disrupted by new players coming in. And I think sports has been so, not disrupted for the last however many 20 years. Um, and it's just been on a hockey stick growth. So I think is one of the biggest disruptors I've seen in the space and looking at everything that you've written. And I think YouTube University, how easy it is to get information now really lowers the bar of entry. I mean, look at Billie Eilish, right? She's recording whole albums in her in her bedroom, basically, right? So it almost starts to put out the the traditional record labels, the studios. And I saw Charlie Puth Puth say something the other day where he's like, I record everything in my bedroom. Uh, And and so I think tools have just allowed people to build brands way easier now. So I I mean, what, what successful partnerships, how are record labels and, and the traditional players dealing with this like lower bar of entry or barrier of entry? Yeah, I think it puts record labels in a, interesting position because I think from the outside looking in, it can, there's this overwhelming narrative, whether it's artists becoming more independent or do it yourself, that if they can create the studio, they can create the setting and they can now distribute their music. Well, then what is the role for major record label in that? And I think that has changed. And I do think that it still has a role, but it may be a little different than what people had envisioned in the past. I think that major record labels are still the people that are the best at turning the people that are stars into true and legitimate superstars. And from that perspective, someone that would be on a major record label like Republic, and Republic is the one that has Ariana Grande, The Weeknd, Drake, Taylor Swift, every like um, Nicki Minaj, so many of the big names. And as good as it is to be on some of these do-it-yourself platforms and get your music out there, there's still a limitation in terms of being this global artist that has their music ringing in all of the continents and you're making sure you're hitting all of the metro areas. You're also just getting the backing and the support to make sure that happens in a pretty smooth way. There's still a gap there in terms of what the biggest artists can do that especially the ones I just mentioned and what the biggest indie artists can do technically. So there is great potential to be made by being someone like a Chance the Rapper or even Russ, given the things that they've done. And they're doing quite well for themselves from a financial perspective, but it they necessarily haven't, haven't hit the same levels of someone like Drake. That said, they don't necessarily need to hit the same levels of someone like Drake, who has been signed and is still signed to multiple record label deals. But I don't think that Drake would necessarily be as big as he is if he wasn't. I think that Chance the Rapper in many ways was a bit of like the best case scenario that we've seen recently for someone to be able to get to that level. But even so, we saw with his most recent album, it didn't perform nearly as well as he thought it was going to. From his perspective, he at least was able to 
make more for each sale of the album because he isn't signed to a record label. He can earn so he can have a broader share of the overall pie. But he's getting beat by rappers, at least in the Billboard charts, that are much less well known than him. I think a lot of it just ties back to that that potential. And I think you see a lot of this happen in other areas, too. I mean, I myself, as someone that's running a digital media company where I'm the sole content creator and business operator of it myself, there is a potential where, yes, this can be a lucrative business to be able to push forward. But let's say my platform could be much bigger if I chose to work for, let's say, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or something like that. But there's economics of what I'm doing now that may make more sense of, and also just the journey of why. So I think there's a lot of trade-offs that happen in the music industry. So the major record labels, if they can focus on what they do best in terms of, yeah, we're really the only people that can make sure that you can sell, you know, over 500,000 albums in a week. Yeah. You kind of still need to be here. Like it, it, it it would be almost, uh, I, I think there's a, a bunch of similarities in sports and other things, but no question. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I look at the similarities to sports as like, that's why LeBron went to the Lakers. Yeah. Like he felt like he, you know, he's obviously going to do a good job building his own brand by himself, but by going to the Lakers, it's going to open him up into a whole bunch of other things. It's not because he was like, as much as he wants to say it, it wasn't because their leadership that they have in the group. It, it's because that avenue puts him in a place where he can go build out and do a bunch of other things. And so I think a bunch of the other brands, like if you, if you were able to get better at that and say, okay, what are, what are the things that our athletes care about? And as a pro team, how can we make sure that we're the best in that one area? You're going to attract the guys and, and the girls that want to grow in that space. And so I, it, yeah, it's, it's just, it's becoming more than just about winning championships because there's only one winner at the end of the year, right? Right. Like, and, and there's 31 losers or in college, right? hundred and some losers. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of similarities there. Yeah, uh, definitely. What, what rabbit holes are you going down right now? Like as you think about like some of your next big articles, um, what are, what are some of the things that really are catching your attention in the, in the music industry and, and that you're going down right now? Yeah, there's, there's so many. I mean, for me, I look a lot at the things that were made fun of or the things that people necessarily didn't like as much and how that translated to the way things are today. So ringtones was one place that I went down a pretty deep rabbit hole of recently. But I also think about just the art and the aspect of music videos. So that's one thing I've started to do a bit more, like the role that music videos have had over time in music and in hip hop specifically. I mean, I still remember as a kid um, seeing Missy Elliott and Busta Rhymes and artists like that that really made their brand on MTV and BET by being able to have these music videos. And I think in a lot of ways became more known for their music videos than they were for their album sales and how music videos themselves have shifted in terms of just the way that they are structured in the music industry. So, for instance, back in the days of TRL and all of the things that, you know, were so focused on music, music videos themselves were the marketing tool. Music videos themselves were the thing to, okay, there's an album coming out. This is the artist. We're going to put all of our energy and people were spending ridiculous money on music videos. I don't, I mean, for the, for, for the folks listening, there was a music video that Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson had put out called Scream. And 
it was, I want to say maybe like four or five million dollars at the time in 1995. And that was just considered an obscene amount of money to spend then. People don't spend that money on music videos now. And you saw those type of things, even the crazy things that Buster Rhymes was doing, and even outside of hip hop, like the Backstreet Boys were putting millions of dollars into music videos. And then things tailed off for a second, right? And then it really wasn't that case where once the CD, once the CDs died, MTV itself had shifted away from music video shows to shows like Jackass and, you know, um, like uh, what are some of the other shows like the dating shows and things like that, like, like uh, the cri- Cribs and uh, yeah. Room Raiders and stuff right. like that. Yeah. I don't know and, if they still do those, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they do. But I um, but yeah, so I, I think that there's something there because I think a lot about how that translates now to the era of streaming and Spotify. Because now you have music videos, which are now so more seen as a revenue generating stream themselves, where artists want to put the videos on YouTube and in the future, they can now put on Facebook too. And it's more so an additional way to make money while still being able to use that as a tool to help generate concert tickets or merch sales or things like that. And I think that the way that music videos um, were powerful was that it was the way that MTV was able to at least make that shift, right? So we're talking about like Room Raiders and all those things. Yeah. So Room Raiders was the content they created themselves, right? Or all of those other shows was the content they created themselves. They didn't have to you know, pay out any royalties or anything like that the way that a lot of those music video shows do or did. But we look at Spotify now, it's kind of a similar type thing. Where does Spotify at least gain some of the current steam it's now getting? It was mostly by having records and having albums on Spotify and Spotify has to pay 60, 70 cents for every dollar that they make to the major record labels. But what is Spotify doing now? They now want to expand into audio, produce their own podcast, create their own content. And when you create your own content, you don't have to pay the same marginal cost to anyone else in order to, um, you know, have that content on your platform. You either acquire it or you house it um, or one way or another. So I think about that transition because we've seen that happen again as well. And I think obviously music videos are a piece of that. While Spotify itself isn't in that, I think that the connection between that and where things are now, that's something I've been diving into. Oh, I love it. So, so I, I think there is a lot of similarities too, where the good thing with a lot of sports teams, right? They own their own content that they're pushing out, but a lot of times they've, they've, they, they make the content and then they actually outsource it, right? They don't, they're not getting as much of the pie uh, for distribution. And I think going forward, that could change with, again, talking about lower barrier of entry to being able to distribute some of this content. Um, I, I think that's going to go down. I, I think you'll see more people start to bring things in-house or put more focus on the things that they're doing in-house. Um, but we'll see. So you, you said something interesting, though, when we when we asked, when I asked this question about what rabbit holes are you going down, you said something about how you decide which rabbit holes to go down. So you said, you look at the things that typically were made fun of, uh, or that people laughed at. And I think there's, if people are making fun of something or they're laughing at it enough, that means that to some group, there's popularity enough there. Right. And so there's, it's worth exploring and maybe repositioning a little bit differently and bringing back to life. What other frameworks do you think about when you're exploring new rabbit holes to go down? Yeah. So that's definitely a big one. I think, yeah, I, I, there's just one quick thing there before I go to the other thing. Yeah. yeah. What you just said reminded me a lot about other things I've just seen in sports too. So for instance, I look at someone like a personality like Stephen A. Smith. 
So I remember the mid 2000s and especially like when I was in college or like first job out of school and stuff, people hated on Stephen A. Smith. They would just, you know, they oh, yeah. screaming A. Smith. They hated his antics, his style and all of those things. But you fast forward a few years later, Stephen A. Smith is the same guy. But it's us as a culture that have evolved. And now he's this beloved figure. Uh, If you would have told me in 2006 that there would have been a future where Stephen A. Smith is the highest paid person on ESPN, in many ways, the anchor and ESPN is now leaned into trying to celebrate their talent and all that. I never would have believed it, but that's where we are. And and I think a lot of that like translates with that too. So that's one thing that that made me think of when he said that. No, hundred, hundred percent. He... Again, I, I same same thing that he always got made fun of, but now like his following right now is so big, and I never would like you never would think of him as like the best guy on ESPN, but based on ratings and based on numbers and number of people that watch him for whatever reason, like he is. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, oh, go ahead. But yeah, in, ter- in terms of the modern day examples of like the frameworks that I like to look at things, I. I like, I also like to look at a lot of lessons. Like what are some tried and true things that have like stuck with us from a business perspective, almost from like a leadership perspective? Cause one of the things I do break down oftentimes is record labels or other hip hop groups. And what was the thing that made them successful? What was the thing that made them fail? And I try to look deeply to see okay, what was the overwhelming media narrative at the time? And do I necessarily agree with that media narrative or were there other potential reasons? Because I think that there's a lot of labels today and groups that may look at some of the iconic record labels back in the day, whether that is a bad boy or a death row records and understanding what made them succeed, what made them fail. And because a lot of people, when they're starting these labels, I've had many of the label executives themselves on my podcast and talking to them. They all look up to these people and read the case studies on them the same way that people in tech read case studies on Steve Jobs or whoever else. And I think that someone like Steve Jobs, for instance, has just been so like dissected in so many ways as multiple movies about him that we understand all of the trade-offs and things that come with it. But what is the aspect of that for someone like a Suge Knight, who is the former CEO of Death Row, or someone like Damon Dash, who had led Rockefeller Records when Rockefeller Records was at its prime? And how do those things relate to the record labels that are emulating them today, whether that's like a quality control music, the folks down in Atlanta, or with um, Top Dog Entertainment, Kendrick Lamar's record label in LA, or even Dreamville, um, J. Cole's record label. Yep. So I look at those things a lot and the, and I think that framework is helpful because it allows me to have either a unique perspective or to double down on things. And I think those are the insights that really serve the people that read and listen to Trapital quite well. In a lot of ways, people reach out and they're gravitated to it for a few reasons. They appreciate the insights because they're in the industry or they're outside of the industry, folks like you, but there's several things that are applicable and translatable just because, you know, it's like the, like the Drake line you said, they're like them, they're, we're like us. So yeah, that's one of my common frameworks. No, I, I love it. And I, I think to your point, right, with Steve Jobs, everybody's dissected that a hundred ways from Kingdom Come, but we can learn. There's so many other really, really mega successful people that made certain moves at certain times. And if we can go analyze those stories, we're probably going to get different insights than what our peers are getting who are just going down that mainstream avenue path. Um, 
Well, let, let's let's jump into a, another question here. You're you're a Michigan guy, right? You you I am. You guys oh, there. All right, so I'm a Notre Dame guy, so we're a little bit at odds here. <laughs> uh, Katie, who who helps us with the, with the podcast, she's a Penn State girl, so we're all at odds with oh, each nice, other at this nice. point. Big Ten, and I guess you're you're technically independent, but you're honorary Big Ten, I suppose. Honorary for... Big Ten, honorary <laughs> ACC. Um, all right, so this is something I want to explore a little bit with you. So I think about sports teams, and they're able to really generate a ton of passion, right? Like. Michigan fans bleed maize, maize and blue, right? Is that, did I get those colors yeah, right? Maize and blue. Yep. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to influence, I think the influence that they have is a little bit different than what like maybe an artist has. Like, and I think that may be due to personality, but I'm curious is your take on it, right? Like Michigan has such a big reach, but if they told you to go buy this brand of cereal, I don't know that that recommendation means anything to you versus if Travis Scott tells you to go do it, you're going to go do it. Right. So, I mean, talk about that dichotomy a little bit and how you see that. I don't know if you thought about that, but something I'm thinking. Yeah. No, I, I love this question. I think that college sports and I guess to pro, some pro teams to some extent, like I feel like the Green Bay Packers and teams like that in this, sure. in, in this bucket too, but um, college sports hits this like legacy and like tried and true tradition perspective that I think matters a lot. And yeah, like there's people like friends that I have, like well, a big Michigan state fan went there for law school and he still has everything there donates all the time and still attends the game, follows everything and follows them. Like it's, you know, a member of his family and plenty of my classmates from Michigan do that. The group text blows up every Saturday that Michigan has a game. So it's not, not things, good right now. <laughs> it's not good right now. It's pretty bad. So there's an aspect of the traditional aspect where it's almost like this is a, for the way I see it, this is a member of our family. This is someone that is here. We want them to be successful. And we're tied to this team, regardless of who the players really are. And I know that in the NFL in general, there's an aspect of the players themselves as brands that doesn't necessarily carry out the same way it does in basketball. And I mean, I know that's, that, that's for several reasons. And I think in the NCAA, it's even more to that extent relative to the NFL. But I think that, yeah, there's a, there's a legacy tradition aspect that sticks with the team, regardless of what's happening. And you're almost like rooting and like checking back for them. No different than you may check back for I'm trying to think of like a good example it's almost like your hometown. Like you want to see them being successful to that extent. Right. And I think that artists themselves or individuals as brands hit a different perspective because it's like, this is me. Like this is me as a person that is the person. So it personifies things in a way. I, I look at the loyalty that people have for particular companies. This may be a little different, but Apple and Amazon all have their, you know, fanboys and fangirls that rave and live for the product in a similar type way that we may see some of that devout sports team aspect. But it's not like Apple is going to, Apple may sponsor something, but it's more so the other way around. What is the thing that Apple is sponsoring as opposed to, okay, Travis Scott is the one that becomes the brand ambassador of this in a way where that connects it. It's like, oh, Travis Scott's wearing this. I can wear this in a way where like Michigan can't. Michigan itself can't wear that. Sure, like Shea Patterson or one of the quarterbacks can wear that, but it's just not the same thing. No, no, that, that, it makes sense. And, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot more there too, but uh, we're getting closer to wrapping up. So I'm going to ask one more question uh, related to Michigan. Um, all right, you're the athletic director of Michigan right now. 
what's the first business move you make that's raising eyebrows? Nothing to do with coaching off the field. Uh, what's the first business move that you're doing right now that people are going to say, hmm, we maybe hadn't thought about that? Interesting. I would make, I, I would have a, and who knows if this exists, but I would have a social media manager on the team the same way that a Golden State Warriors or some of these other NBA teams would have it. And I would do this in a way where the team itself has an account. So in the art and not the artists, but the play and some of the star players do not that you're trying to turn them necessarily into brands, but you're trying to make this clear statement that, Hey, like before the games, we're going to have this token or this thing that rings with people that makes them feel connected to us, even in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense. And I say social media, because there could be a TikTok series that the Michigan players start doing before every game that then resonates with fans. Like for instance, one of the clever things I think about, I think about, um, the um, University of Miami, the U, and the turnover chain that they have. That mm-hmm. becomes like a thing and a token that people know and they understand that helps them from a branding perspective that could then introduce someone to be like, oh, well, you have to understand the history of Miami and how they're related to, you know, the Miami nightlife and how things related to, you know, the U in the 80s or even the run that they had in the 2000s and stuff like that. Like, Having something like that, and I do think that having some type of social media or brand ambassador could help create that. And I know a lot of those things end up being authentic, but the more things that Michigan has like that, I think is cool. The last thing that I saw that came from the pipeline like this was when Michigan had signed the deal with Jordan brand. Yeah, I forget how many years ago. Maybe it was like 2017, maybe it was 2016, but whatever year that they had done the deal with Jordan. I think a lot of people were like, oh, wow, this is cool. It's not just a typical Nike or Under Armour deal. And it gave Michigan a little bit of a profile. And it was back when um, Jim Harbaugh was yep. you know, a little yep. bit more popular in the press and all that. So, yeah. Is there some type of social media person or brand ambassador that can create something like that? Because I just think, yeah, the turnover chain, whether you love or hate Miami, it creates attention and it creates gifts and memes. And that's how you have college football connect with an audience that it could reach out to beyond the people who are part of the school themselves or some of the more traditional fans that love it. Yeah. So even just a a little bit more, because I think a lot of teams have that, but it's like, I think there are a lot of, they're really, especially in the college space, they're um, under-resourced in that space. So more dedication there. Uh, Any, is there anything similar like that, that you can think of in the, in the hip hop world or uh, in the music world that's coming to mind or, or no? Yeah, I do think that artists themselves will have their little tokens or the things that people will often go back to. Like in the early days, Kanye West's albums always had that little teddy bear. And you were kind of seeing the evolution of that teddy bear through the album. Um, Lupe Fiasco would have the robots. And that was a theme in his early music videos, too. And it adds a little bit of that like personality. And I think some of those things can really come through. You haven't seen it like some TV shows that have a regular cadence. Like there's some little thing that goes back to it. It's almost like you're creating like either an inside joke or an understanding among the fans of like what this is. And yeah, I think that a lot of pro sports teams may have this like in college football, especially from like, you know, understanding either the slogans or things that like, you know, Bear Bryant or Bo Schlumbecher or whoever else they have said back in the day. But what's the thing that's a bit more relatable? Like not everything needs to be, you know, the person that was the head coach in the seventies or eighties. 
Yeah, it, it can be things that your creative team generates on its own. I, I love the album cover, the teddy bear, the robots. Those examples are, are really mm-hmm. solid ones. Um, well, Dan, let, let's let's start to wrap up here. Uh, where can people reach you right now? Obviously, you've been dropping tons of great insights. You do this on the regular with Trapital. So how do people sign up for Trapital and where can people follow along your journey? Yeah, so to sign up for Trapital, the main thing that Trapital sends out is a weekly memo. And you can sign up for it by going to trapital.co. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. And you'll get the next newsletter in your inbox. And I'll also send the occasional essay or other updates that come through when they're ready. I also have a podcast as well. It's called The Trapital Podcast, available wherever uh, you get podcasts. And I interview a lot of the guests themselves or interview a lot of the executives themselves that are making moves in the music industry. A lot of the same folks that I end up writing about end up becoming guests, which is always a nice little circular path that can happen with these things. And yeah, those are the main two areas I would say. Um, definitely, you can also follow me on social media as well. I'm at Run C Dan, but I think the best way to stay on lock is to sign up for the newsletter, trapital.co. S- sign up for the newsletter. It is... Uh... So I, I think I counted the other day. I, I think I subscribed to like 120 different newsletters. <laughs> and, and so I have, I have filtered inboxes for all of them. And anytime I'm curious about it, they like just skip my inbox and go right to their own inbox. And so anytime I'm like curious about a topic, I go to that specific inbox. You are one of three newsletters. Trapital is one of three newsletters that do not skip the inbox that makes sure it hits my regular account. So oh, I'm honored, man. I'm honored. It is uh, for anybody listening. You're going to get tons of insights. I mean, like I think about your one article that you did where it was like uh, how Tyler Perry built his customer centric empire. Right. There's so many like different lessons and frameworks that you unpack into there that are super translatable to the world of sports entertainment. So anybody listening, follow along. Uh, it's good stuff. All right, Dan, hey, appreciate you, man. Till next time. No, thanks, David. Appreciate you. This is fun. This is fun. Hey, guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, We're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.